Welcome to the Sisters of Christ podcast, where we are here to grow in faith, boldness, and love together. You're going to hear some incredible stories, testimonies, and wisdom from fellow sisters who have been transformed by their relationship and walk with Jesus. As you listen to the podcast, my hope for you is that you will be inspired and encouraged to walk boldly and confidently in God's calling for your life. I'm Jeanette Bordeaux, daughter of the Most High King and your host. And sister, I'm so grateful you're here. This isn't your average Christian women podcast. We're going to hit on some topics that you may have never talked about in a church setting before. We go deep and we get real, but all in love. So get ready and let's dive in. Hey sister, I am so excited you're here to listen to the podcast and we are kicking off with the Racial Reconciliation Podcast Series. This is where I sit down with different women who are really leading the conversation of race within their church and in their communities. And in today's episode, I get to interview Carla Practico. She's an entrepreneur, branding and marketing agency owner, and my personal mentor in the She Roars Christian Women's Business community that she leads. It is a amazing. And today we're going to be talking about the stronghold and sin of racism within the church. And as you listen today, I just want you to know that we are not coming to you as experts, but we are simply having open conversation and shedding light on some of the things that we've seen in this season. So I pray that you have an open mind. Also give us grace because I have been recording these podcast episodes virtually, but God is good. So grab a notepad as we dive deep into this topic today because Carla is about to blow your mind. So join me and Carla as we kick off this episode with a quick prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. We just pray that you just be here in this place in this interview, Lord, and be here with your presence, God. Just guide this conversation, guide this interview, Lord. I just pray that every woman, every person that listens to this, Lord, their hearts will be touched, their hearts will be moved by you, Father. And we just come closer and closer to your love, closer and closer of what it looks like to live like you, to walk as a true united body, Lord. And I just pray, bless this hour. We talk about reconciliation and yeah, I just pray that you show us your heart in this, Lord. And just thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Amen. So good. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, it's good. It's so good. Um, okay. So both, I like I said, I've just seen you as such a, you know, such a leader in this conversation, really leading people to repentance around the sin of racism and reconciliation. And before we deep dive into that, I really would love to just hear a little bit about um, your first conviction of this, because I know on a um, panel that I actually got to join last week, which was so amazing, so insightful and so helpful for me personally, um, where you talked a lot about kind of that conviction the Lord had first put on your mm-hmm. heart a few years ago about how you were moving black women within your business circles. And I would just love for you to share a little bit more about that story and yeah, the conviction absolutely. on your heart. You know, it's interesting. My my sort of beginning of interest, I guess you could say on, say on this topic, actually began in college. Um, I took a politics of race class, uh, sort of on accident, because I like 
tried to get my classes too late and it was the only one left. Um, and I think it's interesting to point that out because, and we'll, we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but there is a, a narrative in the church that does talk about, you know, racism or, or sins like this or an issue like this is really only solved if you get saved. And what I'll say about that is, you know, when I, when I first started learning about this topic and really had a change of heart, I was actually not saved. Um, I was full in the world in college and honestly, education really changed my mind and my heart on how I saw the issue of racism. And, um, so that to me is something that I think, you know, this topic, it, we, we really need to give it that type of attention because we, we sort of say, well, we just need to preach the gospel more. But there is also this side of like, well, we also need to educate people simply, you know, I mean, we can actually see things shift and change in culture just based on the truth, um, even if someone isn't saved. Um, and so my, my really journey into this started in college, um, where I learned about wage gap and I learned about systemic racism and I learned about the systems of oppression that our government has endorsed for a long time. Um, and so from there, I, you know, I really thought that I had, I had a sort of an awakening even in college on this topic. And then, you know, I got saved and, and I'm sort of just living my normal, uh, white person life. And I'm, I'm a businesswoman, right? So I was a part of a large kind of high level mastermind group. Okay. And I paid a bunch of money to be in this group. And, you know, part of the value of the group was really learning from the other people in it. Right. I mean, you're in a, you're in a circle of people who are making hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. And so, um, maybe not, a lot of them making hundreds of millions, but certainly there are multimillionaires, maybe a hundred million is a, is an exaggeration. But, um, I saw this one post this, this one day and it had all these comments and all these likes on it. And I didn't really see, I only saw the bottom half, right. Where I saw these comments and stuff. And so I scrolled back up to find that it was someone who had posted that they made their first $100,000 profit month, which you can imagine that's like a pretty giant milestone for a business owner, right? To actually have a hundred thousand of profit, not just revenue, but profit. So I end up, you know, scrolling up a bit more and, and I see the picture. And as soon as I saw the picture of the person who posted this, my heart just hit the floor because I realized it was a black woman who was in the group. And I had been in this group for about a month. And I, as soon as I saw her picture, I recognized her as as someone that I had subconsciously scrolled past, I hadn't read a single one of her posts in this group that showed up in my newsfeed, but I had read plenty of others. I mean, I probably read 100, 200 uh, of other people's posts, but I just would sort of keep scrolling past this one, right? And probably some other black women as well in the group. But as soon as I saw her picture, I just had this like dagger in my heart from the Lord that was just so clear that I had subconsciously believed that black women have nothing to teach me when it comes to business, that black women can't possibly be better at business than me. 
right? I mean, it sounds insane to say it out loud, but my behavior and acknowledgement of that behavior spoke pretty clearly to what my belief system was, even though it wasn't an overt belief, it was certainly a subconscious one. Um, but for me to realize that in my mind, this black woman was the least, you know, possible option of someone that I should spend time reading and learning from, right? If I'm going to spend my time reading and learning in this group, I'm going to look for like the white men, right? And so, or even white women, right? And so for me mm -hmm. to see that this woman, not only like, you know, is worth listening to, but she straight up killed it like way, way better than I have even come close to touching. Right. So for, for the Lord to really convict me and as a Christian, right. I mean, I've done tons of inner healing work. I've done tons of deliverance and, um, all that type of stuff. And, you know, there's good fruit in my life. There's no, you know, obvious or, or, you know, patterns of sin in my life. And, and here I am realizing that I have been seeing black people in a totally racist, you know, lens. And so from that moment on, I really made a commitment, really a vow, to be honest with you, I don't take vows lightly. Um, but I really felt from the Lord to make a vow to him that I would champion black women and especially black women in business because I, I had the education, right? I knew the, the backstory of the economic gap and the wage gap that women deal with. And, you know, just all the statistics of, of the ways that black lives are different than white lives. Right. And there's, and, and there's really no way to, um, explain the difference except for the skin color. Right. So, um, for me, it was really a matter of being willing to hear from the Lord, uh, and be corrected by him and be humbled by him, um, in, in what was going on in my mindset towards black people. And so that's kind of where my, my Christian journey, you know, because before that I, it's not that I wasn't, you know, for black people. And I had this sort of education on this topic, but it wasn't, um, wasn't like a cry of my heart to champion black people. So really that moment um, really changed my future in a, in a really significant way. So, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for openly acknowledging yeah. and calling it what it was, right? Racism. Um, because I feel like I know that you've experienced this too. I feel like in, especially in the Christian community, it's kind of like people are not they just like almost don't want yeah. to acknowledge their own racism, um, a sin <laughs> or that they don't yeah. see it as like a, um, yeah, as like a, right. Yeah. They see it. Yeah, exactly. I was like, how do I describe this? Yeah. And that's actually, you mentioned something in the beginning, uh, which I really want to unpack a little more is that, yeah, if we just preach the gospel then, and everyone gets right. saved, then there will like, then people won't be racist anymore. Um, and that just made me, made me think about two things. First of all, it's one is, um, or do I'm doing this Arabon, um, uh, justice and mercy mm -hmm. course where we're really, um, discussing race in the church and socioeconomic and everything, um, together. It's amazing. And we talk about, um, 
the I think they call it the something toolkit. I'm going to butcher it. But one of the points that they make is individualism and that thinking that uh, like racism can be solved on the like this individual mm. level. Like if we mm. as each other fix ourselves, then racism will stop. And we still have uh, things to renew our mind on and yeah. truth to receive. And, um, you know, as much as I would love for people to think that they aren't, um, or actually not be, uh, the fact of the matter is this is a principality that, you know, is deeply rooted in the soil of this country. So we've been discipled by it, whether we know it or not, you know? Yeah, that's so good. And I love that. Um, you're talking about like principalities too, cause that was another thing, um, uh, that has come up a lot during this time is like, I'm just like thinking about all the different, you know, Christians who I've seen posting about, um, their beliefs on it or what they're saying about it. And that's another generality, um, is mm -hmm. that this is, you know, racism isn't between, it isn't something mm -hmm. that we need to yeah. be dealing with in the natural. It's all yeah. in the spiritual realm. Frankly, if I'm being really honest, I've watched, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've had at least a thousand conversations, um, with a variety of black people, white people, you know, mostly in the church, because that's really my my world and my sort of sphere of influence. And the the thing is, is these patterns keep emerging and, and they're the same patterns and they're the same conversations. So like half the conversations I was having are with almost what feels like the same demon. Like the narrative is the same. The conversation is the same. The responses, the excuses, the deflections, all the same. And so this particular one where it's like, oh, we need to pray more. We need to worship more. We need to, you know, like love each other more. All of that um, is not not true. And that's what's interesting about the principality of racism and, and really most principalities. I actually think it's a, a principality of white supremacy not the principality of racism. Um, I think it is specifically in America. It's the principality of white supremacy, but, um, and racism is obviously part of that story. But, um, what I, what I see with this response of like, oh, we need to pray more. This is a spiritual thing. Yes, that's absolutely true. And, and principalities, um, are often, and doctrines of demons, by the way, which are essentially what principalities, uh, produce and, and the narrative that they put and, and sow into culture. Um, they're always logical. They always feel true, right? I mean, we know that the enemy does this, right? He's an, he's a, he's called the angel of light for a reason, but it, so it's like he uses truth to sort of masquerade himself, right? So part of the issue with this sort of deflection is if we look at other social justice areas that, you know, our, our morals kind of drive us to, or the spirit of the Lord really drives us to, um, for example, child trafficking, for example, abortion. Those are two pretty high priority issues on the Christian docket, right? Somebody tell me who is just saying, who cares about this issue, who is just saying we need to pray more, right? Nobody, not a single person who works in the field of being anti-abortion and pro-life they actually do the work of rescuing children, don't they? They actually go to abortion clinics and try to educate the mothers about what is actually happening. And we've found, you know, with abortion, the number one way to have a woman choose to not have one 
You know what it is? Education. It's not getting them saved. It's education. That alone changes the outcome. I mean, I don't know the specifics, you know, the statistics specifically, but um, it's why, you know, Planned Parenthood and these other organizations have really fought to keep um, pre-education out of the out of the story because it it prevents so many from actually going through with it. So, you know, we see the actual, you know, foot to the pavement type of work in these other two, you know, clear social justice areas. So why, when we have this other social justice area, is this one all of a sudden just about praying and worshiping and just being nicer humans? Why? Because we actually still have the stronghold of racism inside the church, right? And so this becomes a really logical, really easy deflection to actually avoid having to do the work for somebody that we sort of subconsciously don't really value, right? And you'll see this because, you know, even in the most recent events, um, you know, some of the patterns that keep showing up are like, you know, they don't mind, they, they like to say all lives matter, but then, and they won't say black lives matter. And they, they cloak it around, uh, kind of this idea that, um, you know, the organization, we don't support the organization. It's like, well, can you say black people matter? Well, no, because all lives matter, right? That's always the response. So they won't actually say that, but here's the best part. If you, if you dig through a little more, give it a day or two, there'll be some type of post or some type of engagement with a post about police officers. They're not afraid to say blue lives matter. So what is the problem here? Oh, you actually just have a problem with the word black. You actually just have a problem with elevating a black life over your life. Not even over. No one's actually been asking for it to be over. Uh, but the fact that you can say blue lives matter and all lives matter, but somehow are offended at the idea of black lives mattering, that's where we can see pretty clearly there's a stronghold here, right? There's something keeping and resisting actually receiving black people. And it's, and it's, it's racism, you know, it's white supremacy. Wow. So, wow. <laughs> it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You're so right. Ah, I could just literally, I'm just going to replay that like 10 times after this. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. But no, you're so, you're yep. so, so right. Like the idea, yep. it's like, we can't even yep. like the, not even being able to humble ourselves to elevate someone else because of their skin color. It's, it's really sad. One of the main sources for a lot of this conversation, and it and it is mostly related to this sort of unholy marriage between religion and politics. And so there, you know, part of this, the issue with this topic right now is because it has been uh, made political. So one of the common threads and patterns that I'm seeing between people who are um, unwilling to say black people matter, right? Even if you can't say black lives matter because you don't like the organization, fine. I mean, trust me, having an issue with black lives matter organization because of what they donate to. And yet later in the day, you're going to go shopping at target, um, who donates even more money than black lives matter to these organizations. It, it, the cognitive dissonance is absolutely astonishing, but 
that's a that's a whole nother story for another day. Um, you know, they don't actually do any research on any other areas of their life, but they've somehow done all this research on this one organization and therefore they throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? But um so this this political thing has to do with um believing almost believing that politics Ooh. is the savior of this country. Um and there's a almost a unholy idolization of patriotism, nationalism, um, really, I'll just say the Republican Party, um, not even just conservatism, but really the the party itself. So that's a major, major pattern that I see as sort of um, all the way threaded through, I would say, 75% of my conversations um, that sort of went down this sort of same road of refusing to acknowledge white privilege, refusing to um, even have a, a conversation about the statistics or reality of black people. And, um, you know, another pattern would be often sharing um, like kind of random videos of black people who are saying that they've never experienced racism. Um, and I find this specific pattern and choice to be a really, really fascinating one for church people to do because they actually are willing to share and, and, and endorse, um, first of all, kind of just random people, right? They don't know any of these people. Um, instead of the, five to 10 black leaders of the church who are having these real conversations and are sharing their experience and sharing their stories. It's, it's strange. Like you're, you're interested in being discipled by this black person when you agree with it. But the moment this stronghold gets triggered, you're willing to find anyone under the sun who agrees with your already preconceived mindset. Uh, which, by the way, um, this group of people likes to say that there are many, many, many black people who would say racism isn't real in America. Um, and ironically, in all my years of talking about this topic, I have not personally met or talked to or heard of a single one of these people. Now, I do know they're out there. I've seen, you know, like where if there's so many of them, how are they not like, how are they not out? Yeah. Where are they that this principality <laughs> is doing? It's actually trying to deny a reality of someone's abused experience, which is what narcissism does, right? It, it gaslights its yeah. victims to keep them yeah. quiet. So, and to, you know, to remain in power. Right. So I find that is a major pattern of like sharing these sort of, um, random kind of videos. And, you know, I have some opinions about, black people that are talking about their not being racism and all that stuff. And, you know, I don't know that it's really my place to, to have an opinion on that. I think if they've never experienced it, then that's amazing. Like, thank, thank you, Jesus, that somehow you were protected while 99% of black people were not like, that's a miracle. Like, I'm so grateful to hear if that's really true. Um, yeah. You know, I, I do think there's some potential for, 
psychological sort of denial going on and, and just some other things that are worth maybe looking into and considering. But, you know, trauma, trauma manifests in some pretty crazy ways for people. So having done lots of work with with trauma as a counselor um, is definitely something that I'm I'm curious about, but I, I definitely don't know enough around the black uh, racism topic to really have a, a, an educated perspective on it. But all that to say, um, that's one pattern sharing those types of videos, um, and, and sort of having that defense, right? Well, there's so many that don't agree with you. Okay. Well, there's so many that agree with me and aren't they like, don't we care about their pain? Like, I'm so glad there are many that don't have that experience, but how do you explain the many that do? Isn't that enough to care and for it to matter? Um, but it, you know, that seems to usually be a dead end type of conversation because, you know, the, the, the response was not really rooted in a, you know, solid truth anyways. So, um, so some of the other patterns that I have seen would be, um, oh, another one is just a over the top anger and, um, just absolutely infuriated by the riots, right? And the looting. And this is nothing new. Uh, the fact that white people get super worked up about riots and all that. Now, listen, as a Christian, obviously we're not fans of, you know, violence and all that stuff. Um, but the most interesting thing about this, this sort of focus is you'll see it from people who have not said a single word about their grieving racism or their repentance for not speaking sooner about racism, right? It comes on the heels of, of really just defending police and, um, you know, caring about, about all these other things and not actually from a place of, Oh, I'm so, I'm so grieved that, you know, these business these businesses are hurting or that these people are, are, you know, suffering violence. It's, it's really, it comes from a place of all throughout history, black people have been painted as criminals, as violent, as, you know, rioters, looters, troublemakers, right? We can literally look through even our entertainment movies, all these types of things where they paint black people as the thug, right? And so because of that, seeing black people riot and loot, all that does is reaffirm their belief system that we'll see if black people yeah, could just yeah. get it together, their life would be better. Like clearly they're doing this to themselves. This is their fault, right? So it is a deflection that's really, it's, you know, it's mm -hmm. rooted in this sort of high horse self-righteous type thing, right? Where it's like, well, how dare they break the law? And it has nothing yeah. to do with compassion for anybody, really. Um, it's all a deflection uh, to really yeah. reinforce yeah. what they already believe about black people, which is they're lesser than, they're heathens, they're, you know, they need to get saved, they're so lost. And what's worse is for a Christian to be finger pointing like this um, is just such clear self-righteous judgment, right? First of all, we're assuming all these people aren't saved, uh, which is, first of all, just un just unholy. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, second of all, 
you know, if we look through history on this topic, there has never been a change on the topic of racism without law breaking. Every, you know, Rosa Parks, that was illegal, right? There's all these examples that we can point to of actually civil, civil disobedience was required for there to be change. Now, obviously I'm not, I'm not endorsing violence or anything like that. Um, but there is a measure of, you know, the abused is, is really trying to break free of, you know, their captivity. And so, you know, if we look at if let's put this into another sort of perspective, right? If we were to say, like, if I had a neighbor, and this might not be the most perfect analogy, but if I had a neighbor and I like saw that there was a little girl locked in a closet, right? Let's just say, for example, what would be my response to that girl locked in a closet or, or just maybe not locked in a closet, maybe just being abused every day? right? Well, I would probably do everything in my power, even risk my own life to make sure she gets free and the abuse stops, right? So why are we treating, you know, and let's just say the little girl had to kind of scratch her way out, right? Let's say she had, you know, to, to actually get free, she caused some scratches on her abuser on the way out. You know, there's this element of at what point are we just deflecting, you know, the issue of racism by trying to point a finger at things that we would call sin or things that we would call, you know, the wrong way to do it, right? I mean, we've had so many protests and so many things over the years that black people have tried to do to protest peacefully and guess how many of them were mocked and nothing, no, no change happened. Right. So there's almost this, like, there's no good way to protest as far as white people are concerned. There's all, they're always doing it wrong. Well, that's because the stronghold yeah. is winning, right? It wants to yeah. stay in power and, and you don't seem interested in trying to, to help, you know, change this thing. So, you know, there's an element of like, man, I have so much compassion for, um, for the rioting and for the looting, not that I endorse it or would, par would participate in it, but man, we've had 400 years of really, um, you know, silencing these people. And, uh, at some point, you know, how much abuse can a traumatized person mm -hmm. take, you know? Yeah. Wow. Whew, so many things there. Um, I definitely like one, one thing that you said about, um, yeah, just not acknowledging mm. their experience. Yeah. And that's something that the Lord really showed me during this time of just mm. reflection mm. and, you know, really questioning yeah. what is in me that has been so passive about yeah. this? Like, why didn't I see, you know, yeah. my black brothers and sisters yeah. not being equal as a priority, as helping them, as, you know, being a champion of their voice, even, you know, before this movement really um, started, yeah. you know, before George Floyd, everything. And yeah. I just really, you know, I had to That's take right. a good hard look at myself and realize that, you know, I wasn't seeing them as like me or like the same or like uh, their problems weren't my problems. And yeah, I've had yeah. to do a lot of like repentance around that. And yeah, during the time, he definitely showed me like that not acknowledging yes. like their experience is putting, like you said, all the blame on them. 
it's like, yeah. well, if their life is this way, it's because, you know, yeah. it has to, has to do with something they did, which is so just grossly like unfair yeah. and just so uncompassionate. Yeah. And I just, I just remember this moment I had yeah. with the Lord where I realized like, wow, I can't believe, you know, I can't, I would be really mad <laughs> if I was, if I was black and, uh, you know, I had to do for so long. And that's one thing I want to talk about now is, you know, you had, you started this journey of really opening your heart and seeing um, kind of like where you weren't seeing black brothers and sisters as equal. And now going through this new experience where, you know, you're seeing so many, so many people mm. in the church, maybe even like your own, like literal location church mm. too, just not reflecting Jesus and not really acknowledging fact of racism. As far as, you know, my local church goes, I'm actually super impressed and, and blessed by the work that they're doing on this topic. But uh, sort of the larger story is, um, you know, some of the just the the connections I have with different churches around the country and um kind of more of the like prophetic, super charismatic streams. Um, those are the ones that I'm seeing ha have this pattern of behavior. And so, um, you know, for me, I think what's interesting about starting, you know, what happened with George and seeing, you know, the fallout of it, I was actually a hundred percent shocked. Um, and, and this is actually an embarrassing thing for me to admit because I didn't realize how much this stronghold was in the church. I had no idea. This has been a learning curve for me, which is why I said I've been sort of watching the patterns because I've never seen them before. And I think even social media has been an absolutely pivotal um, game changer because I think a lot of these things that people believe you wouldn't hear it in normal everyday conversations with someone, right? You're only, I'm only able to sort of notice because I can go and look through your feed and see what you care about, right? Like this is the highlight reel. So, so tell me what you care about. Uh, not to say that I'm, I'm, I'm busy sort of judging, but as I mentioned, these patterns are the same. And so for me, um, man, it's really just been a matter of, a little bit of feeling like a black sheep in my own family. Um, now, of course, I've got plenty who are are standing with me and standing, you know, hard with black people. Um, but as far as you know, part of my my participation and and leadership inside the charismatic and prophetic streams, I definitely have felt like, am I? How am I the only one? not the only one, but how, how is this so prevalent in this group of people who are so spiritual, who are so prophetic, who are so, you know, um, they've been game changers in the Christian world and yet they are so bombing this topic. And so for me, it's been a lot of like, Lord, do I go for it? You know, like I'm kind of burning through some relationships by standing up for this thing, right? I'm burning relationships with leaders. I'm, you know, and by burning, I mean, I'm, I'm acknowledging the existence of the division I didn't know was there already. So it's not a matter of like choosing division or wanting division. It's, oh, I actually didn't know this was under the surface the whole time. 
you know, which is something that black people are like, yeah, we knew we got tired of talking about it, which actually points to what you were saying about how, you know, how is it that I didn't see or care about this before? And honestly, I think part of that is just the fact that now there are plenty of black people who, who aren't tired of talking about this and who are, you know, persistent in this. But frankly, I think black people have been silenced, first of all, because they see the results of talking about this topic. They don't, they get shunned by white people. So there's really a, an advantage to staying quiet about this. Um, I actually read an article the other day about uh, black executives speaking up about their experiences for really the first time in their, you know, 30 year careers, because they actually saw how it would ruin their career if they made an issue of things, right? So it's sort of like they've been forced to be silent. And so because of that, a lot of us don't, don't know and don't see and, and the stronghold of, of white supremacy keeps us blind to it as well. So there's a lot of factors. Um, but truly, black people are tired. I mean, they deal with this every single day. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. You know, they they have these little microaggressions that they experience or, um, you know, the subtle sort of insinuations that a white person wouldn't notice. Uh, but they certainly do because they experience it every single day. Right. So for me, it's been a lot of like man, Lord, I'm, I'm going for it. Cause I know this is right. And you already talked to me about this years ago. Um, but I certainly do feel like I am coming up against, uh, you know, I feel like David and Goliath a little bit, to be honest. I mean, it is, it is a, I'm a nobody, right. And I'm, I'm trying to have conversations with these leaders who have giant followings and, and influence who I'm, loosely connected to. I wouldn't even say they really know me uh, by any means, but there is a measure of like, uh, we, we sort of have many mutual friends and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I'm basically putting a bad taste in their mouth towards me from, from day one. And, and I, I'm not afraid to do that because I know it's what's right. And I think there's a, there's a measure of, you know what, I don't know that anybody's willing to really confront these people in love. And now is the time to do it, right? This is the hour where the Lord, I believe the Lord is doing a mass deliverance of this uh, principality of white supremacy. And I think a lot of the church is missing it because they're busy caught up in the politics stuff. Um, and so that's been my, my sort of how my heart's been dealing with this is just like, you know, having just experiencing heaven cheering me on because everything I'm doing and saying is so deeply rooted in the demonstration of Christ, right? It's like when I look at this other group of people who's having, who has this narrative of, you know, racism is a mindset and white privilege is a lie and it's a Marxist agenda and don't, you know, all of these sort of deflection things that all of this was all said back with Martin Luther King, by the way, none of these things are new. I mean, everyone claimed Martin Luther was a, uh, Martin Luther King was a, a communist, right? So there's always some type of just weird white person deflection as far as uh, conspiracy theories go. Um, not to say that I don't think there is a Marxist agenda in our country and all of that, but um, the idea that we would put racism and the issue of racism in that category is just like mind boggling to me. But you know, this is the logic of, of the white 
supremacist principality. It, it tries to find fear tactics to keep, you know, the topic silent, to keep justice from happening, to keep love from being spread, right? Because ultimately, if I'm a white person and I say, hey, black person, you know, there's nothing wrong here. Like there's, there's, I've done nothing wrong. You're free. Your life is great. America is great. Right? Well, what have I just done? I've denied their experience. I have not loved them at all. Right? I have not restored our connection. I've really just said, what's your problem? Right? Which if you think about it from that perspective, it's like, wow, this is, this is like the worst version of, you know, walking into unity. Right. Um, and so it, it's really a, it's really a baffling thing to look around and see um, how much of the church is really married to this idea that, you know, this is just all a, a lie from the democratic party and um, you know, and, and the other thing I'll say about this whole topic is, you know, in so many of these conversations that I've had, man, the fruit is so bad. Like the nicest people become so vile on, on just like drop of a hat. It's, it is actually shocking to me. Um, and that's where you can tell there's a bad tree, right? It's like, oh, that's what's growing here. Real bad fruit. Cause the whole tree is bad. Not the, you know, when I say tree, I think our lives have, um, wow. you know, maybe I'll put it this way. Wow. Lots of different trees on different categories and places in our life. Um, but so when it comes to like the topic of race, I think a lot of people have a bad tree that's just growing bad fruit in that area. So, and they may have great fruit in other areas, right? So it's really confusing to say, you know, but they're so awesome over here and so mm -hmm. vile over here. Like what's happening? Well, that's the fruit of that stronghold right? It's the fruit of that tree, that mindset that's been planted in their, in their, you know, minds and hearts. And so, you know, to see them respond, uh, with such, I mean, just aggressive, arrogant, sort of not, you know, no compassion, right? None whatsoever. Um, that's the thing that's really startling because then we can look at, people on the other side of the spectrum who are having these conversations championing black people. And the whole conversation is biblically sound. You know, it's really truly based on what does Christ do on this topic? Is he, is he busy talking about who to vote for or, or some mess like that? Absolutely not. You know, politics aside, he's sitting in the dirt and the tears and the blood of the marginalized every single time. Right. So that to me is like, there's just this massive cognitive dissonance between what is Christ doing and what is our role as a church in this, in this topic and in this season. Girl. Amen. Amen. Wow. Well, I'll say this. Uh, there is obviously a ton of data and statistics and, you know, on all sides of this story. So it is, there is a bit of a challenge when it comes to kind of the numbers on some of this stuff and the statistics around things. I mean, you find one stat that says exactly this thing. And then, you know, one that says a whole nother thing. And the reason it says a whole nother thing is because of how they did it differently. And so then you have to value, you know, how did they do it in a way is this way better than, right? So it can get a little messy with all that. But 
you know, I think if we can, can really step into a place of humility and I, I say this, I say this with a, um, you know, sort of a fear of the Lord thing as I say this, but I recommend every white person assume they have partnered in some way, somehow with the, the principality of white supremacy. And I, I, I don't like to put sort of demonic influence on people, but what I find is, you know, what's really easy. If you assume you've partnered with this thing and then maybe find out that you haven't, you know, that's good news. But if you go in assuming, which by the way, I, I actually do think, uh, whether we like it or not being born into a system that's designed to favor us, um, you know, until we have an awakening on how this thing favors us, we're blind to it. So it's just how the principality works. Right. So, you know, when we assume that we have a problem, it has nothing to do with feeling bad for being white or feeling guilty for being white or anything like that at all. Um, Jesus made all of us intentionally, right? So, um, but if we can assume that we have been discipled by this principality simply because it is one that has ruled over our country, you know, since its foundation, right? It was really invited as a partner to be a, a founding member of, of our country. Um, then we actually enter into hu a real humility where we might be able to really see areas and ways that we have um, thought wrong and believed wrong or seen wrong. Um, and so starting to uproot those things and um, acknowledge those things and repent of those things, whether it's to the Lord, even if it's to a black person, um, man, that's powerful right there. Uh, another way that we can certainly start the process of reconciliation after kind of doing the, the whiteness work, if you will, um, would be, man, having conversations with black people. And I'll say this, black people are super tired. And this whole season has been probably like trauma on top of trauma because they're, they're being, you know, asked so many questions by so many people. And so there is a measure of like, do this with care and, and thoughtfulness, um, and do it maybe in some measure of like, can I bless you and, and take you to dinner, right? Something that's, that's super loving, um, and really cares for their, their soul, um, as you do it. But man, if there is something that is worth saying to a black person, whether that's like one-on-one -on -one repentance or, one-on-one, -on -one, like, Hey, I want you to know, like, I want to do everything I can to make sure like, you know, that your life really matters, not just to me, but that I'm willing to die for you. Like that, that's what they need to hear right now. Um, and so it's really just, you know, it'd be, it's like doing the work of, of anybody who's anti-abortion, right? I mean, if we are willing to have hard conversations with people about that, then why wouldn't we be willing to also do it and stand up for black people in our white relationships? You know, that's another way is actually confronting this thing in other white people. Um, now that does take a bit of sort of knowing what you're talking about and education and learning so that you actually know how to respond to some of these things. 
But, um, man, I'll tell you what, I've had a lot of fruit from my couple weeks of confronting white people and not all of it has been successful. Obviously I've had way more failure, you know, as far as people changing their mind or seeing differently. Right. But there is that sort of like middle road where people haven't really landed and they're looking for leadership and they're looking for someone to show them how, and they're looking for somebody to, um, teach them how to communicate and, and how to confront someone and how to deal with this issue in a powerful way, because that's the only way this will change is if we actually prove to culture, it is inappropriate for you to believe this thing, Mm. right? Which is, that's the role of Christianity. We can actually make a country change its collective um, decision on a sin issue and ultimately bring disagreement with a sin issue. Um, and, and so that's why we care so much about abortion, right? We want to change people's minds about abortion on purpose. Well, we should do it about racism too, right? So that's really some of the first steps that, you know, white people can do on an individual level. Um, there are some really great resources out there. Uh, Be the Bridge is one of them that I recommend. Um, and, you know, if you do, you know, host a small group or something at your church, maybe your next uh, small group as a white person is about this topic. Because oftentimes um, churches have left this topic to black people to lead the story and to lead the narrative. But I certainly recommend um, a white person, probably with a black person if possible. But you know what, if, if a black person isn't available or doesn't want to do it, or, you know, is too tired, um, man, do it anyway, because white people listen to white people and that really matters. Um, our voices as white people, uh, do certainly matter because if you think about it, somebody who's under the stronghold of white supremacy is not listening to black people just by the nature of that stronghold. So there is a measure of us using our privilege to stand up for black people, you know, and defend them and to protect them and, um, you know, get, get their, get them heard, right. Elevate them. Right. So, um, that would be some of the first sort of preliminary things that a white person can do, um, you know, to, to bring change to the world. Carla, I feel like the perfect way to end this interview is to just pray for repentance. So would you lead us in that prayer? Lord, I thank you that on the cross you defeated all of these powers and principalities that they do not get to rule and reign over my mind, my will, or my emotions. So Lord, I thank you right now for breaking all ties and agreements with this principality. Lord, I repent for being silent for so long. I repent for my apathy on this topic and I repent for not championing my black family sooner. And Lord, I ask for a holy, righteous anger against racism. And I ask for the faith to believe that I can change the world. Amen. If you have enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to share it with a friend, share it on Instagram and tag at the sisters of 
Christ. These are really important conversations that we're having and we'd love for you to share and even share among your communities also. So bless you. Thank you for listening. And if you have a second, if you could rate us five stars and leave a review about what you think about the podcast, that would be amazing. God bless you. And I'll see you next time.